everyone. Welcome to The Sword and Laser, episode number 162. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And we are having a fantastic Google Hangout with professor and author of the graphic novel Icarus, Gregory Wilson. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Veronica. Hi, Tom. Thank you, guys. Hey, good to see you again, Gregory. Should we call you um, Professor... Wilson? No, no, please don't. Is that <laughs> Unless weird? you're in a class of mine, then you know. <laughs> if I have a question, do I need no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you guys have a previous relationship, or you guys know each other from elsewhere. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, well actually, um, Tom has shown up because there's nothing at all um, nepotistic about this business, but Tom has shown up on the podcast Speculate that I run with uh, Brad Bollier, um, also a speculative fiction author, and I think he might have been on Sword and Laser before, I believe. He has, indeed, um, yes. yes. Has, yeah. So, yeah, so we all know each other, and that's what happens when you have ten people that work in this business. But, um, yeah, Tom Tom was on there, and uh, we interviewed him and found out about your guys' amazing Kickstarter and, and all that kind of stuff. So, we yeah, we know him from before. <laughs> Yeah, Brad was great on the show when we had him on. Uh, yeah, it is a very small industry. We have learned that um, a lot recently, actually. We've had this like chain reaction of authors being on the show and then telling their friends to come on the show. And it's it's wonderful for us. It makes booking very easy for me. Um, yeah. So no yeah. complaints there whatsoever. So you mentioned Kickstarter, and you recently had a very successful Kickstarter for Icarus. Can you tell us about how that kind of came to be? Yeah, um, well, it actually is through Silence in the Library Publishing, um, which is the same group that did um, four Kickstarters before. The one that was probably right before this, I think, was called Athena's Daughters, um, which was an all-female science fiction anthology that raised, I want to say, 40-plus, 40,000-plus on Kickstarter. Um, And so they've got a history of coming up with really good Kickstarters um, and and running through with them. And uh, I was at the Origins Convention in Columbus uh, last year, and um, they were in the midst of doing their first of those four successful Kickstarters. And I started talking to Ron Garner, who's the head of Sanson Library Publishing, about um, this artist that had illustrated a story of mine for an anthology in one of their Kickstarters, because, again, nepotism. Um, so, um, but I was talking to him about it, and he was like, uh, you know, I said, this artist, whose name is Matt Slay, did this amazing stuff um, for a short story of mine, and also for the original thing I submitted to that anthology, which was the prologue to my novel, Icarus. And I said, this is really cool stuff, and does Matt do other things, you know, like more things of art for, you know, narratives and stories? And Ron said yes, and it turned out that Ron had been thinking about something similar after reading much of uh, the story that I had submitted for him. And so we just got into a conversation about it and eventually decided we were going to run a Kickstarter for a graphic novel version of this, which went live on January 12th. So we've got about eight days, I think, left to go in it. So, yeah. Well, this, this may go up when there's one day left. Yeah, but the Kickstarter seems to be going well. What are what are your stretch goals? So we have already passed. Um, I believe it's four of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's wow. a short story of mine that went through. Um, there is a short story by Maxwell Alexander Drake um, that's being written in the Icarus universe, which is kind of cool for me to have that that opportunity. The, um, which is also, I should say, illustrated by a veteran uh, Magic the Gathering artist, Cyril Vanderhagen. So that's a separate guy who's going to be involved with it. Um, and then we passed the stretch goal of a free uh, download of one of his novels for backers of 10 and above. Now we are heading towards a stretch goal with Michael Stackpole, best-selling New York Times, best-selling author, Star Wars, and stuff like that. Friend of uh, the show it. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he's going to, that's 13,000 uh, is where that's going to be. Um, and then um, a novel of his. And then after that, we have Gail Martin. Um, oh, and Jason Engel is illustrating the Michael Stackpole story, I should say. Then nice. we have Gail Martin uh, and James, uh, oh gosh, Cor- Corrie, I believe, um, a Star Wars artist. 
um, who's been really, really cool about getting stuff out there about the project. And then down the line, the two, the one that I'm really fanboying out about is Ed Greenwood, who created the Forgotten Realms um, thing for Dungeons and Dragons, which is really weird for me because if I told you guys how many like books in my basement of Dragonlance and D and D and all that stuff that I have written by Ed, the idea that he would actually write something in my universe is amazing. So uh, I would love to get there. And then the last stretch goal um, that that I wanted that I would highlight is um, we actually have a game that's being done in parallel development, um, and there is the possibility of a video game that would happen using assets and things like that with a lot of big-time people in that you know portion of the creative industry. Um, so if we get high enough for the goal, it would be a big springboard towards getting that game going. So Wow. Yeah. That is a lot of amazing stuff all, all rolled up under this one project, especially like doing something as huge and, and time-consuming as not just a game, but a video game. Yes, exactly, which is why I'm glad that team is the huge group dealing with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Except I'm, but I think it's really neat. And, and the guy, Chris Suda, who's the head of that development team, um, I don't know, there's just some really, really cool stuff that comes out of it. And the idea is that each, the book feeds into the novel, feeds into the, uh, the graphic novel, feeds into the game, and back again. So, yeah. That's amazing. So now we've talked a lot about the Kickstarter, but can you tell us about the graphic novel Icarus itself? Yes. Um, so the graphic novel is based on my novel of the same name. It is about um, two outsiders, um, a character called Icarus, who's about a six-foot-tall, uh, fair-skinned boy with wings uh, who falls into the heart of a dormant volcano called Vol by the people who live there. Um, and uh, he meets a four-foot-tall, red-skinned, uh, flame-petal prospector, uh, kind of a Wild West uh, or Old West type, I guess you might say, Gabby Hayes, let's say, um, who uh, plies his trade, um, is distrustful of everybody, and his only companion is a two-tailed um, large creature that's lava-resistant called a Solar, whose name is Rig. Uh, and so Jelinek and Rig run into Icarus, almost literally. Icarus falls on top of a creature that's attacking him in the first couple of pages, and things go from there. And uh, in the course of the novel, um, even though they seem about as different as you could possibly get, Jelinek talks in dialect, and it's all very, you know, whereas Icarus is much more the Queen's English. But they find that they're much more similar to each other than they thought, and over the course of the novel, uh, they fight um, a race of creatures called the Magisters, which have enslaved uh, Jelinek's world. And um, through that process, they learn quite a bit about each other and about why Icarus fell into the volcano in the first place, these strange powers that he has. Um, he has amnesia, by the way, so he doesn't remember mm. why he's there. So all of that stuff happens throughout the course of the novel, and it is incredibly illustrated. I can be biased about this part by Matt Slay, who's done work with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. He's a professional comics artist, and his stuff is, is wild. Um, that, that part of it has been maybe the coolest thing, is watching the stuff I had in my head and humbling, frankly, like the stuff it takes me two pages to write that he's like, here, picture. I'm like, yeah, that's, well, yes, um, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's that's been amazing. So, When you mentioned the dialect, I'm always curious uh, how different authors approach that. And it's, some just say, you know what, I just make up something that sounds foreign. Others put a lot of thought, and, and others even, like, go so far as to create whole syntaxes, Tolkien yeah. style. Yeah. What what Where are you on that scale? Uh, so a lot of what I try to do when I'm thinking about that is I try to think about um, what it sounds like in space. That is to say, what the voices are like if I speak them out loud. Um, and so one of the hardest things earlier on was being able to construct on the page something that didn't involve tons of apostrophes and dropped G's and things all over the place. Um, I did that initially, and let me just say to everybody out there, don't do that because Microsoft Word Find and Replace is not getting the job done on, on the <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yeah, I tried to Salvatore that. 
Yeah, it's just, you know. <laughs> um, but so I tried to cre- recreate that. Um, and, and what I was, I think what I was really trying to do with him was to get this um, this sort of, this, this slangy feel that seems to grow organically from where he is. He doesn't have a lot of contact with people around him because he's mistrustful of people around him. Um, and so basically the creatures that he has contact with are, he sells these flame petals, so obviously he's not, you know, he's able to speak and communicate, but it's not sort of the way that he likes to think. So he's got a kind of drawl, um, I guess, to the way that he speaks. And the biggest thing was being able to write it first and then being able to speak it out loud and then to being able to make adjustments to how he's, you know, how I wrote it to kind of reflect how it is that he was speaking. And I think, I think I've been able to get that. That's the interesting thing for me is that I, the book is told in alternating perspectives. So you get the contrast between the very formal kind of Icarus speak and then the, I was out hunting for flame petals with Rig and I saw that, you know, and that, that kind of drawl that you see from Jelinek um, and seeing that also translated into the way he even looks uh, in the graphic novel has been cool too. So. Now, you mentioned that Icarus was also a novel itself. Uh, what was yeah. the process like? How was it different between writing something as a full novel versus kind of condensing it and taking out the meat of it to, to turn it into a graphic novel? Yeah, that's been the thing that I mentioned it was humbling, and I'm only half kidding. I mean, one of the interesting things is that you know, the picture is worth a thousand words. It's probably more like 2,500 to 3,000 um, because Matt, as an artist, thinks big. Uh, and so a lot of what he does is rather than the comic books I read as a kid, which were like, you know, eight or 10 or 12 panels per page, this is much larger. So you're talking um, a couple of panels, you know, three or four large panels on a page. And so the way Matt describes it is these beats, these these moments, these scenes that he picks out that are sort of representative of the visual emotion of a scene, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And, and that I, has been really interesting to me working with him and seeing how he does it. So that it, so that I'm able to sort of distill what I was getting at um, into something that is going to translate on the visual page. I'd like to think they work together. One of the things we do in the Kickstarter is that a lot of people have asked for an add-on so that they could get my original copy of the novel with it. So even if they didn't pledge it, they want to read my stuff too, which I'm happy about because like it means I still have a job. Um, but also it means that I can actually focus on the you know, the internal emotional content that maybe you wouldn't just get from the visual that they can get in the book. But being able to distill it and condense it um, and trying to get just the most important visual beats, those are the things that I've been learning from Matt. And as far as how well we succeeded, I don't know yet. You know, we'll, we'll find out, I guess, when all's said and done. Um, but it's been really, really interesting for me as a writer to figure out well, what did matter about it? It was like 84,000 words when I wrote the novel. What is the most important part of those 84,000 words for each page? Because it's going to be about an 85 to 90 page, we think, um, graphic novel when all said and done. So that's a lot of condensing going so on. So about 1,000 words a page, yep, roughly, yep, roughly yep. speaking. Humbling, I told, I'm telling you. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> well, does it give you an appreciation for film adaptation when, when you think about like how visuals can summarize, but then sure. where, where they fall short and where, you know, all that sort of thing? Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and I've always had respect for film adaptations that are sort of true to the spirit of a book, um, for sure. Um, and I think the thing that gets me about this is it's even more than that, right? I mean, because here you don't even have the, the motion to catch you. It has to be done on the visual still image. Um, and that, you know, has is, is been really striking to me. Um, one of the things that Matt does really well is with color, um, stuff that I describe as being, you know, and I describe the sulfurous reds and this kind of thing, but if I say the word sulfurous reds, I'm like, right, got it, good, you know, because the reader's imagination takes up over from there, but 
for him, he has to figure out, okay, well, what the heck does this <laughs> look like, right? Like, so he has to actually be able to get reds and oranges. What's and the hex code for sulfurous red? Yeah, right? no, exactly, exactly. What, how do I, what's the equation? Like, you know, um, and, and I, and so they actually, he went through a lot of that with me. He, you know, so exactly what kind of, you know, when you say that he's tall, how tall is tall? What, exa- what do the feathers on the wings look like? Are they interlocking? Is it, and these were things that I had thought of, but there were some things that he asked me that I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'll get back to you. Um, you know, and they were really good questions to ask, but those are things that you have to get. So yes, I, I absolutely have a lot of respect now for the film adapter and the visual in general adapter for sure. Yeah. Do Do you think it's easier? And this is all totally subjective, of course. But do you think it's easier to start a graphic novel from scratch, or do you think it's easy to take it as an adaptation? Oh man, that's a question that Matt could probably answer better than I could. I I think for me, I think I. Th- I think that I think better in prose to begin with. Um, I, I think that it is easier for me to represent it because I think it's easier to go in this direction, to have all of the stuff there available, the thoughts running through the characters' heads, the emotions that they're going through, the sort of subtleties, the nuances that you can't get on film, and then be able to condense those into a representation of it than to sort of just from whole cloth say, okay, I want them to think of what do I, what is this person thinking in this scene, and then somehow kind of put it for the first time on paper. So for me, I think it's easier to do it this way, but you're talking to a prose guy first. I, I respect art, but my art sort of ended at I'm able to draw stick figures. Like that's about the extent of my art knowledge. So, <laughs> um, so, so you're talking to a prose person, but from my point of view, I think it's easier to go from the narrative first. And interestingly, some of the artists I've talked to have told me that they also prefer to have some sort of thing built in to begin with that they can then you know, modify and, and uh, you know, manipulate in some ways to be able to produce what they want. But I don't want to speak for Matt about that because that's, you know, I w- I'd be stepping on his toes. Just a question about the process. Do you adapt a script for him out of your book and send it to him? Or, or do you do more of a Stan Lee method where you have him look at the book, maybe storyboard a little and, and work backwards? I think it's a little bit more like that. We were actually having a chat about the Stan Lee thing because that is literally apparently what he did is he'd just be like, okay, um, so then they think this, go. You know, and they're like, what? You know, and then they, you have to sort of represent in, in bubbles. Uh, yeah, no, um, so I think what we're doing is we are doing some of the storyboarding stuff, but honestly, this is brand new for me. Um, I, I know about graphic novels and have done some stuff, some study of graphic novels, but I have never written one or been involved in the process so for it's a very very new thing for me and I think in a lot of ways that's why it's been such a good learning experience um, to be able to have uh, you know my ideas what what the way it worked so far is that I sent Matt the novel um, Matt looked at the opening let's say the prologue for an example and he's gone through the entire novel and he's marked out scene 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 beat visual scene scene and then has sent it back to me and is like Right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm able to suggest to him, you know, yes, I think this might work as a good visual. I'm not sure about this. And then he's able to further sort of drill down and start looking at the way that the actual panels would break down on the page. And then I can make suggestions about dialogue. So it's very collaborative in that respect. Um, it, it's very much back and forth. And I don't know, I mean, you know, in Stan's case, he could just walk down the office, I assume, and just talk to the letterers and the artists and be like, look, what do you think about this? In our case, um, you know, the power of the Internet has made this possible, but there's a lot of bandwidth being used on sort of back-and-forth uh, discussion. and dialogue. Literal and otherwise, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Icarus the novel out? It's not even out. No, it is not. Right. Um, and in fact, I tried to sell it um, first, and um, it didn't get traction in part because... 
it was very, very different um, from other stuff that was out there, and I wrote it that way. It was my second novel. My first novel was an epic fantasy that I was proud of, but it was very traditional, and that came out from a traditional press. And this one, I wanted to write something very different, and I did. Um, and then they were kind of like, great, um, we have no idea where to shelve it. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> um, so, And it kind of got, got shelved by me um, for a while until um, this project came up. So, um, But I'm proud of it. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the book. I, I feel like it was a good, interesting book that I put a lot of work into. Um, but it's neat to see it in this format. And I'm looking forward to people having a chance to compare you know, the physical version of the novel that itself and also the graphic novel along with it. So. Good. So you do plan on, on bringing the, the book Icarus to publish? Yep. yep. Great. Absolutely. That's the plan. So you, mentioned, you mentioned your epic fantasy novel. Is that the third sign? Yes, that is right. Can you tell us about that a little bit? That seems like right up most of our listeners' alley. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, it came out in 2009. Um, it was um, an epic fantasy that um, tells the story of the country of Clune, um, which has been surrounded by a uh, series of uh, nations that wish it ill. Uh, ten years before the start of the book, it had been enslaved. Um, by uh, a um, by an overlord figure essentially um, who had uh, overwhelmed the populace and a small group of heroes had overthrown that overlord ten years before at terrible cost and um, from the time since then to this point uh, there's a race of honorable but xenophobic mercenaries uh, called Arliks which look a little bit like minotaurs um, that have guarded the borders under a treaty with the human residents of Clune um, and as the book begins that treaty is running out um, each side is suspicious of the other side. Uh, the Arliks claim that the humans have weakened them. The humans claim that the Arliks can't be trusted. And so there's a lot of political infighting going on. And uh, the book basically tells the story of that um, sort of conflict at the same time as um, there is a rising tide of evil that threatens to sweep over the land elsewhere. Um, and so it follows uh, the lives of a couple of those heroes who were in that original band that overthrew uh, the overlord that 10 years before. Uh, set against the backdrop of that other stuff going on. So there's there's political intrigue and there is there's some magic and there's uh, you know prophecies to be had and all that kind of thing. Um, and it came out to pretty good critical attention uh, when it came out in '09. And so yeah, um, and and in fact had a game module made of it by the way uh, for Neverwinter Nights uh, too. Oh um, neat. So there was something. So I have done a little bit of the visual stuff before, although not on this level. But yeah, it strikes me as being very analogous. I don't mean this to say this is going to sound odd, but analogous to Congress, right? You know, I, if you look at the broad span, stick of with US them, history, stick with right? them. It's going to go somewhere. You've got the dark overlord of, of England, right? And they overthrow it, but then immediately we start forming parties and, and battling with each other. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things that came out about that book, actually one of the moving things that came out about it in terms of reactions to the book was someone who wrote me and said that, um, that I had talked about something they had never considered, and that was the consequences of war. Um, that you read a lot in fantasies about how cool the battle is. You don't see nearly as much about the consequences of what's left over, the collateral damage, so to speak, and what happens to the people that are left afterwards. And I was really struck by that. Um, I mean, I, I had thought about it, certainly, but I hadn't known that it was going to resonate at that level. So that was something that was really moving to me. And, and yeah, I mean, there's no question that some of that's in there. Um, there is also, there are some, there's one character, his name is Belezion, uh, who's a kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, political operator in one of the cities. Um, and uh, there was kind of a funny story because my father-in-law is a lobbyist in Washington State. And I made the mistake of telling him at one point that it was very, 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 I cannot emphasize how very loosely based on him, very loosely based oh, uh -oh. On, 
on on his character. So not only did he, was he not offended by this, but he actually ran with it. So when I did a reading at the University Bookstore in Seattle, his first question, I finished the reading, is like, you know, this character that you wrote that was based on me. And I'm like, wait a minute. Look, Jerry. I, <laughs> uh, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah, so, so, so he was drawing his own political, uh, you know, analogies, uh, from having read it too. I don't know that I meant it quite that literally, but you know, so. That's funny. Yeah. Was everyone in the audience like, who's this guy? Yeah, well, so some of them knew him, uh, and then other people were kind of like, so, and I'm, <laughs> so I was just like, well, a character of which you maybe sort of kind of are connected to vaguely, I mean, that guy, I don't understand. He just loved the idea of being immortalized. Uh, you That's know, awesome. This guy. Yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't want to be translated into a high fantasy character? At, yeah, but do you want to be translated into the equivalent of, of Tyrion, though? Like, I mean, that's that's <laughs> the thing. Like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, I he, guess. Was, he was definitely down with being a political operator, I guess. Well, and he is a political operator, it sounds like. Yeah, that's so true. Maybe that's there's true. some overlap there, I don't that's know. True. I'm gonna try that at my at the next book reading I go to. Except I'm not gonna know the author. I'm just gonna say so about that character that you based on me. Let's talk about her for or him for a little bit. Just right, and then just later, just kind of like you know, yeah, absolutely. Just no, see how it goes. How many, yeah, no, people see. It's amazing how many people see things. And family members asked me, did, did you base this on this? I said, nope, 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 nope. Just this <laughs> one thing, you know. So, yeah. Nope. I love that. Um, so, of course, we mentioned earlier that you have a podcast with Bradley uh, called Speculate. Um, how did you get into podcasting? Uh, so I've been doing podcasting actually for a while. Back in uh, 2005, I want to say, I did a podcast called The Mech Report with some friends, which was a comedy podcast um, from a bunch of former debaters um, that like to talk. Shocking. So uh, we decided we would keep talking, um, and they had moved to California, and I was still back in the East Coast in uh, in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, so we started um, thinking about that, and then I moved down to New York, and I was like, we need to keep doing it. Um, but it was, you know, mid-2000s, as you guys know, this was sort of the, the heady days of go ahead and run a recorder. It doesn't matter how good the audio quality is, and everyone just babbles for an hour. So it was, it was, I thought it was funny and fun, but it was very like insider joke heavy. And, and I don't know that it had a long sort of shelf life past it. So when that finally died down, my wife and I ended up doing a podcast called Upon Further Review. And that's actually where I started to get into interviewing um, authors and things like that. So I interviewed James Patrick Kelly and Minister Faust uh, and people like that. And we started to get a little bit into that part. Um, and then my daughter was born and all other work ceased of any kind. Um, and so that stopped and, um, that was it until Brad and I got into a conversation at World Fantasy, I think, in Columbus. And we were talking about Kiz Johnson's story, Spar. And, um, we were very much in disagreement about the story. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was a good disagreement, but still. And, um, we were like, this is cool. You know, like there's cool stuff here. Um, and we wondered whether we could do something of that, more like that. And so we started, I want to say it was late 2010 is when we did our first show. Um, and um, since then, we've had a chance to do this series of podcasts. And we're closing in on number 100, actually. We've been in production over three years now, which is Congratulations. really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. I, I still can't figure out where that puts us because we've been doing this show since 2000. And seven, and we're only at episode 163. So we must be really bad slackers. Or no, kind of quality over quantity. That could very well be it, too. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> that's that, what you said right yeah, there. Probably. That was always the plan. <laughs> whatever those words were. That's yeah, what I'm sure. Whatever I said, right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> you mentioned your daughter. Is, is it, uh, tell us how you got your daughter's name. Oh, uh, Senevine. Well, her name is based on uh, a character from the third sign. It was my wife's idea. 
This was not my idea. <laughs> but um, my wife's name is Clea. She was named after um, the uh, Clea from Lawrence Durrell's um, quartet of books. Um, and so one of the things that they that my wife said was, you know, I really would like to give her an unusual name. And my name is Gregory Wilson. Like, the reason I have to use the A is so you don't confuse me with the serial killer, the biology professor, the magician, the country singer. Like, I am apparently in jail <laughs> in Florida. I knew a guy in Austin who is a, uh, an expert on orthogonal mathematics named Gregory Wilson. Yeah. Of course you do. Like, I mean, of course. Like, this is the story of my life. You could not, my parents were like, you will be the most ordinary name ever. So, um, so I was like, okay, I would like my daughter to have a little bit more unusual name than that. And so we decided, we went through one of those big 10,000 name books, and we're like, eh. And so my wife had always liked the name Senevine and said, what about that? And she's a princess in the book, so, you know, um, it, 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 can, it works out. <laughs> she kind Aww. of fits the character. I love it. I wish I had a princess name. I, my name's not that common, but I still like. I, I still would like something like that too. That'd be fun. I could just start naming myself something else. Who cares? Listen, know, I'll, pretty I'll, I'll trade places. Greg Wilson. You do a search for that, and oh god, I, how many prison records have my name that are not me? It's amazing. <laughs> so, Greg, where where can people follow your work online aside from doing a Google search, which will prove fruitless? Yes, right. <laughs> the best place that they can find me is on my website, which is gregoryawilson.com. Um, I do have Facebook, I have Twitter, um, and right now the Icarus Kickstarter is uh, tinyurl.com slash IcarusComic, uh, and that'll lead you right to the Kickstarter. And they can find me at Speculate, which is just speculatesf.com. So any of those three places work. Fantastic. And if you guys gonna want to get in touch with us, going to want to get in touch with us, that's great. You're going to want to. Going to want to. You're going to want to. Our email address is feedback at Sword and Laser. The website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. Search for the Sword and Laser. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much.